That's good. Okay. Okay. I can breathe now and focus. <laughs> yeah. You would, you would, um, really hate the desk that I'm at. I'm not going to, okay. Maybe I will. <laughs> just, there's just like cords and wires and stuff everywhere. It's just really not, uh, pretty. It's not, it's not well done. <laughs> that's, that's, I've got that too, but I had, uh, okay. okay. We have children's okay. artwork all over. Children's artwork and. Well, that's cute. Junk no, mail. It's not, it's Is it junk mail from the Sierra Club? <laughs> Actually. Oh <my> <laughs> Very good guess. <laughs> oh my word. I love you, the Sierra Club, but you send out a lot of mail. <laughs> yes. Welcome to season two of Bristlecone Firesides, casual conversation around a virtual fireside about faith, the earth, the universe, and everything. In this second season, we will be journeying into the spiritual wilds as we explore the theme of wilderness. Joining us around our virtual fireside will be some familiar voices, as well as some new guests to help us rediscover the spiritual power of wild things. We are your hosts, Abby and Madison. Bristlecone Firesides is recorded in the tiny carpet-covered attic of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, who is our partner for this and future seasons. For more info about SUA and the fight to protect Utah's stunning Red Rock Wilderness, visit SUA.org. Okay, well, should we jump back into this? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, I'll stop wiggling around and making noise <laughs> and papers have been shuffled. All right. Well, take two for uh, recording a podcast with uh, Andy and Sean Howell. Um, uh, Andy and Sean, uh, can you give us a little bit of a backstory, who you guys are and how we know each other? Because I know you both of you have got a pretty good background, um, you know, pretty robust lifestyles and stuff. <laughs> robust. Uh, yeah. uh, we've known Madison since Madison was, was, a, was a tween. Um, in our local religious congregation, we, Sean and I, um, assisted with the youth, the raising up of the youth. And there was a time when Madison was cute and little and, and squeaky and I don't know, no new sense then. And your sisters. I'm only a few of those things now. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And Andy took you, I believe, on a bunch of outdoorsy adventures as part of that experience with him over the course of several years. And so it, I guess it came to be known that we're an outdoorsy, adventurous family that likes to do all the things outside and particularly love Utah, the Southwest with slot canyons and deserts and rocks and things like that to climb, climb on and be in. So we're National Park junkies. Yep. And he's a 50 state high pointer. And we have uh, kind of gotten to a good outdoorsy lifestyle before we had kids. We were married for eight years before children came onto the scene. And so as they were thankfully added just one at a time, we were able to adjust and just kind of absorb them into what we were doing rather than it putting the complete brakes on it. So it's been a lot of fun to experience outdoors together and then with our children as well. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I'd say that, um, 
the seeds that eventually grew into me being kind of this tree hugging hippie liberal, uh, you know, environmentalist person, uh, definitely were sown when my teenage years, when we, you know, would go to have a soup pie or we'd go up to the Olympic rainforest. Um, and, or, you know, you took us out in, in the little kayaks that you had, um, and uh, taught us how to like roll in them and stuff and not mm-hmm. drown. Uh, so I, I owe, I owe a lot of my own environmentalist kind of energies to, uh, kind of growing up in that, in that area with, with both of you. Um, so at what point in your life did you guys realize that the earth was something that you cared about? Was there, there like an inciting experience growing up for either of you? I have to say for me, what stands out most is being in seventh grade. So I am older And, um, when I was in seventh grade, we were raising money to buy an acre of rainforest. My, I had a teacher, I can't remember what subject it was, but we were actively doing that. And I think growing up in the eighties, there was a lot of, at least for me, it felt like a lot of idealism where it was like, we're going to save the rainforest. We're going to stop global warming. We're going to recycle all the stuff. And, you know, like the Berlin wall was coming down. It just like good stuff. It seemed like things were going in the right direction. And I I think that rainforest acreage purchase was, you know, it kind of makes me laugh now because I'm like, did that even really happen? I don't know, but it really had a, a significant impact on me that I thought I could, yeah, like do something significant, even at such a young age and just brought that awareness to me because my actual personal family, I would not say we were taught to not litter, but I would not describe us even remotely as being particularly outdoorsy, played outside a lot, climbed in trees, but that was about it. And so that real environmental awareness though hit me in about seventh grade and has stuck with me ever since. Uh, for me as a, as a Gen Xer, um, I grew up without, I'm like, sorry, is that what we are? Yeah. I grew up without, I mean, we're pre-internet as growing up. Like we had it, we got it. We got the internet when we were in college, we had a computer at home. You could play games on, but it wasn't really, there wasn't really inter uh, interconnectivity like there is now. Um, and, And I had parents that didn't let, us have a video game console. So I didn't have video games growing up. Um, so I, I lived outside. I, that was, that was our thing. We, we grew up with parents that didn't care what we were doing. We just had to be home. They didn't know how to find us. We didn't have cell phones. They didn't know where we were playing. We just had to be home by dinner. Um, and so I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably of that last generation of, of, of kids that just built forts and played Rambo and, you know, whittled trees and, and, and all of that. I don't think that that's going on as much anymore. And I think when you grow up living outside, you, you have a different appreciation um, for the world. I'm going to say I did spend a lot of time in the legend of Zelda. We did have Nintendo at my house, Mm -hmm. but I did. So there was that for us, but, uh, I, I did spend enough time outside. I grew up in the South that 
like I have distinct memory of what it smells like just to be outside in the South, like what the trees smell like, looking up at the sky, looking at clouds, um, what it smells like to be scratched by bark that has lichen growing on it. Like there was enough of that. Those are pretty core memories for me. I would also say there, there's, we, I think we both had kind of this um, thirst for being outside. Like we didn't get enough of an ability to travel um, in our you know, lower middle-class homes that we grew up in. And so when, when we hit college, you in North Carolina and me here in, in Utah, uh, we were very intrigued by the outdoor classes. I started kayaking um, my freshman year of college and, and have kind of never really stopped. Sean took backpacking and climbing classes in, in college. And, and so that we knew right away that being outside and having outside adventures was, was interesting to us. I mean, I will say, actually, as you mentioned it, our socioeconomic class that we respectively grew up in, Mm -hmm. we both grew up on like dirt roads and Mm -hmm. it was like a really big deal to me to be able to go riding bikes in my friends' neighborhoods that have like asphalt roads, like a subdivision. So I grew up just gravel driveway out on the dirt road. There's, yeah, I guess it just wasn't, it wasn't a, a cultivated growing up experience, maybe like even our, even our kids have. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't know. You, you've, you've just sanitized. You've it made sanitized. us realize we're ruining our children. <laughs> <laughs> and that we're like really old. I'm like, Oh crap. No, yeah. I, I feel like I relate a lot to both of your experiences too. Like just being outside, you know, all the time, my mom was like, just go play outside. You know, mm-hmm. we had a stream that ran through our backyard and we would spend so many hours just like, even if we were using Barbies, like playing with Barbies in the stream, you know, Barbie was hiking, Barbie was rock climbing, whatever. So, and, you know, legend of Zelda too. We have, <laughs> so I can relate to both of those things and I don't think it ages you one bit, but except for maybe with parents with Gen Z, but <laughs> you just mentioning that you had a creek in your backyard yard growing up makes me just have this jealous craving inside of me. Cause I'm just like, Oh, that sounds so amazing. That was always my favorite thing. When you go to a park where there was a Creek, which was typical, like in the South and to, I was afraid of crawdads, but still liked the idea of being down there in the Creek and looking and seeing what was underneath the rocks or like, I have, yes, Barbie memories or like these vinyl Care Bears I had playing in the creek with it. It was just like the backdrop to what I was doing. I can still, it's funny, like 40 years later, envision a certain rock configuration at this wind park that I really, really thought was fun to play in. And when you take our children to creeks or some sort of water feature all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I do love water. Yeah. You're a good mom. I don't ever take them I'm curious though you mentioned Andy like taking classes in college that kind of uh contributed to your burgeoning sense of outdoor adventure but uh you know you're an experienced canyoneering canyoneerer (laughs) 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 
you like to go canyoneering um, mm-hmm. and you're pretty experienced when it comes to it um, and climbing, obviously um, you mentioned, you know, being a high point, uh, you know, 50 state high pointer. What is that called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so what, what really led you to that and, and kind of that like extreme, more extreme adventuring, um, you know, cause I took a lot of stuff in college too, like that, but I, I like the outdoors, but I, I would say I'm a less extreme outdoor enthusiast than it sounds like you are. Obviously, <laughs> I don't know, probably testosterone like toxic masculinity probably has <laughs> led to, no, I don't know. I've, I've been, a, I, 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 I loved playing baseball, but I was really small in high school. So I, I didn't make the high school team. And uh, in where I grew up, if you didn't play f- football or basketball or baseball on the high school team, your, your athletic career in high school was done there wasn't um you know there wasn't a lot for um the rest of us so to speak and so i was naturally drawn towards um high risk uh, sports i did did uh, biking for a while and then and then and then there was this exotic there was this exotic um world of kayaking and climbing and mountain biking um, that was just kind of coming onto the scene. And I didn't know anybody who did those things and it sounded really cool. And, and I wanted to be cool. So I started doing it. I was going to say somehow, I just think it uh, comes back to a primal need to find a mate (laughs) (laughs) so you're right toxic masculinity (laughs) exactly where where he's like you know if you're not on the baseball team or the football team you got to find something to stand out and whether or not you're conscious of that actually, i was a little funny but i I, you know but that wasn't going to be enough i needed i needed something cool well and, and madison knows this like andy's personality he is kind of like a good outdoor guide kind of guide guy and so I could see you feeling like this is cool, but I also can like, I don't know, be the man out there. Not in this, not in this like chauvinistic, I'm not saying like in a chauvinistic, like cocky kind of way, but like, but like, you know, and as frankly, as your mate, something attracted me to you where I was like, yeah, this is a guy who I feel like, yeah, we just know what to do most of the time. Outdoors. Let me put enough like qualifiers on this. But I, you know, and I have to say, like, as much as I was interested in being outdoors and all of that stuff, um, yeah, for sure. It's like the dudes are at the rock climbing gym. So of course I'm gonna be, I was not a girl to sit on the sidelines. I want to go be there in the thick of it. I don't know. So yeah, really it all comes down to finding a mate. That is, that is the bottom line of all of reality. Everything can be deduced back to just, we, I just, I needed to find a mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I will say like, even in my like years of doing it, like earlier before I met you, you know, I was like watching guys do stuff like, Ooh, I do not want to get on a rope with that guy. 
And being outdoors with Andy, being on adventure, it was like, oh, yes, he knows how to tie a knot. He's not going to kill me. This is somebody if I, if I feel safe jumping off of a cliff with, then perhaps I could, you know, get married to this person. Have so. kids with this person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, yes, raise children with this person. So commit my life to them. So in other ways. So I know that, uh, you know, both as individuals and as a couple that you guys have kind of pretty voraciously taken on the natural world. Um, but I know that, um, I, because we've been friends, you know, for the last 20 years or, oh my gosh, I don't like saying that out loud, but, uh, for the last 20 years or so, uh, I've watched you bring in kids into this lifestyle of yours. Um, and, uh, I think, th so the first time we recorded this pot, this episode, um, we kind of landed on this, this topic of, of wild children. Um, and so my, uh, I think what, what would be interesting to, to talk about would be what preparation or planning went into bringing your children into this world of high adventuring, how much intentional, like, like, like mental world building did you do before you started having kids or did you just like have kids and then bring them in? I would, sorry, this is going to have a long pause here. Um, I think we were just doing our thing as a couple. So I don't think we did any planning necessary for our kids came to bring them into it other than which knew we'd want to. And there was some amount of energy spent. We're both, I mentioned OCD before, I think we were recording, like, I feel like I'm a little bit OCD and I like to have systems. And so even before we had kids, we kind of I feel like we're constantly crafting, like what's the best system for like time management on the road? Like how many, how many meaningful places we can get to in a long weekend? What's our best system for sleeping? What's our best way to eat when we're on the road? Um, and we had like eight years of marriage before we had a child in which to kind of perfect that for just the two of us. And, and as far as we're concerned, perfect it with our preferences and things. And so then with bringing a child in, it was just like, okay, what do we need to do to tweak this? And each time another kid came in, you know, it required a little more tweaking, but it never felt like this huge, massive shift because we already had just knew like what equipment we like to have and focusing on minimalism. Like we don't want to have to have, we just know having more stuff than is necessary is going to make us insane and crowded. And, and so we just kind of adjusted with each child. And then of course, with their stages of growing adjustments had to be made, but I don't feel like it felt like this huge catastrophe yeah. when we had a kid. And we also went into it for sure with this mindset of because we had been married for so long and had been having such a great time before we had a child, we were actually worried about having a child come in and wreck our awesome life. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was like, Hey, we had systems. We worked really hard on, you know, so you're just a little bit like, ah, oh, dang it. You know, what if they, we said this about every single one, like, what if they can't keep up? Um, <laughs> and thankfully they, they've all held, held their metal air on that. But, um, yeah. So I think we just each, so some of it, there's some logistical, practical things, but then I also think there's a mental stage to it where it's like, Evan, I think was four months old when we went to Yosemite. She was really little mm -hmm. and um, that was a road trip and we just 
did it. And I don't even know if that's remarkable. I know there are people who've done, well, even I've done crazier things than that. But with our first kid going on a road trip to California with a brand new baby was a really big door deal. Fast forward to our fourth child. We went on a, a, a mountain biking trip when she was three weeks old. But anyway, so <laughs> wow. you just kind of like, it's just, we've been fortunate enough that our kids didn't have any complications. My pregnancy is any complications. We were just kind of like, I don't know, just move into that and just try not to miss too much of a beat. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there've been certainly things that have changed. We went from we went from comfortably traveling in a Subaru with the two of us. And now we have a 15 passenger van with a queen size bed in the back and a, and a bunk system in the rest of it for the kids to sleep in. And, you know, a kitchen that fits in a bin and all of that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, things have changed. We don't look like the same travelers as we did when we were first married. Um, I think I I think where we were intentional with our children that wasn't about um, micro organization or anything like that. It was just being brave or having the audacity or maybe foolishness. I don't know. Just just doing it. Whatever it was we wanted to do, we just figured out how to do it, and we would usually you know for a lot of it would take our kid with us or kids, or all of the kids. Yeah, I was gonna say, and there's still like maybe just a commitment to just improving as you go, as needs arise, yeah. because you do just kind of have to let go of any expectation that you're gonna have it all under control or that everyone's gonna be clean or even you know bathed or what the food is necessarily yeah. like. I see families setting up these really grandiose meals and stuff. I'm like, oh, we're eating like, salad kit out of a bag we mix it up in the bag or pass it around the bag and the fork and everybody's taking a bite like that's kind of like but that works for our family you know there are people that just would not work for and so we kind of had that nice time to just realize like I guess we're okay with some <laughs> things that maybe other people wouldn't be okay with but I think the other thing too with kids is you do have to you do have to set reasonable expectations about what you're trying to accomplish when you're outside you know, we've, we've done some backpacking with our kids, but, you know, we were doing what, four to eight miles a day, maybe four to six, I don't know, something like that. Um, and that was all that, that was all their little legs could do, but we did it. Um, we've, we, when we go climbing with the whole family, um, I'm not, I'm not really projecting anything hard we're going and we're trying to, we're trying to provide opportunities for our kids to do fun things. And you might, you might sneak a, 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 a ride in or a climb in or something here and there, but um, it, it's, it's a different, it's a different adventure with your kids, but it's not worse. Um, I'm just like sitting, I, no, no one can see this. I'm just kind of, I'm sure I have a funny look on my face, just thinking about misadventures that have happened oh, yeah. and just having to, just to roll with it. <laughs> like yeah. I said, Yosemite trip with Evan, who was four months old, had a blowout, a poop situation that I, I don't know. It was like the craziest thing that it's certainly up to that point in my life happens. It was our first baby, but even it's still memorable after four children mm -hmm. where it was just, 
it was insane. It was crazy. We ended up having to use like dirt to just kind of rub it in to try to contain the mess. To I mean, we're just out in the middle of like a miles long hike, and we're not miles, prepared, like not prepared to deal, not prepared to deal with that. <laughs> just kept coming. <laughs> I don't know, or like the backpacking trip you just mentioned. We took with all of our kids just a couple of years ago, where we had four children, one of whom was a baby. And we got, I don't know how far we were into our hike, but far enough that we had an oh crap moment. We realized our baby who both takes a bottle and a pacifier, we walked off and did not bring a pacifier. And for any parent knows, this is a horrifying, it was like, okay, we at least can still feed her because we have a bottle. We had just, but I guess we just climbed 2000 vertical feet above our van. And then we're back down towards the coast. Yeah. It was like, all right, well, okay. So or or the one time, or the one time uh, we nearly killed our kids. um, (laughs) I don't don't want to be involved in the we on that. (laughs) There's, there's no we. We I submitted to the Canyon of the San Rafael uh, down in the swell. Um, and, and the, the sand raft only flows, uh, only flows in like April and May. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it, in fact, I don't even think it flows in May very often, but it's, it's, it's snow melt. So it's always cold, but, um, down in the soil, you usually have some, some nice weather. And we did starting out with, and, and we were, you know, prepared as we could be with our little kids and, and stuff. I mean, we had warm clothes and, and, and that sort of thing. But, and then we didn't, have, we didn't have any flips or anything like that. We, we had, we had a, we were fine paddling and then a snowstorm came in and it just got really, really, really cold. And our little people were, were pro- probably pre-hypothermic or at least you know yeah it was bad actually the story is like it's not falling in the category of like oh this was there's this one time that was so funny that our kid pooped all over the place and like no this was no, actually like we, really scary we pulled over and had to do jumping jacks and i'm screaming at my children do your jumping jacks and they're just like huddling and <laughs> it's not it's was, not all been magical it was, that was, was not a it was great pretty traumatic. it's pretty traumatic <sighs> Well, I think what I, what I'm hearing in these stories, uh, and Sean, something that you said is that there's a relinquishing of control that you have to Mm do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm granted, I am not a parent, but I have, there are parents in my life. I have parents, you know, I'm, (laughs) my friends are starting to be parents and stuff. And I think that what I see in a lot of parenting styles is this need for control and this need to try and control the experience of my child. Right. And that I, I think what I'm hearing in your experiences is that having adventuring with children has taught you to let go of control. Yeah. That's probably a great insight, Madison. Yes. Cause if you think about it, like the curated suburban riding bikes on asphalt experience versus just going into the wild and, you don't have control or even like a a great deal of control over even what to expect sometimes and just kind of going with it. And it can be really, most of the time it really is beautiful and rewarding. And sometimes it is, you get your butt handed to you and it's scary. And if you live to reflect on it, then that can still be like a really interesting growth experience. But yeah, that's it. That's a great insight on parenting. And I would say the style that we've come to, which is just relinquishing control over that. 
I was listening to a podcast with um, Richard Iyer, who talked about, I mean, children is, you know, teaching your children good values is kind of his specialty is, you know, he's written books and whatnot, but um, he mentioned that something that we often do um, or that parents often do is like relate the experience of parenting to being like a, a potter um, and your children are the clay, but he's like, this is kind of a misconceived idea and rather your children are like a seed and you plant them um, and then help like nurture them to grow. And I thought that was such a fitting idea for, you know, this episode in particular, not only in the way that it relates children um, and, and kind of the growth and nurturing of children um, to a more grounded perspective with the earth, but also just this idea that, like you said, you know, this relinquishing of control perhaps, um, and then it's less about, you know, the way that you mold them with your hands um, and more about kind of the experiences that you provide them or foster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sounds like, you know, you guys are, are connected to your children, um, but also like fostering that kind of wildness and, and nurturing that growth in them. Um, through these kind of connections to, to the earth, but also, you know, the experiences that they have with the earth. Um, And I just thought that was really cool. And and something that I was kind of grateful that we get this opportunity to re-record with you. (laughs) When you, when you were were offering the analogy about being potters and clay, I thought you were going to say the children aren't the clay. The children are like the fire that the pots are fired in. Like as a parent, like I'm not touching that. I don't know. I don't want to get that close to it. Uh, and so, but I can, I can make this work. I can make this work. Cause if the kids are like the fire, then as a parent, I'm just going to kind of feed stuff towards them and like offer them experiences and they're going to consume what they personally want to metabolize, but I can't force it. You know, I can offer them, I can offer them suburbia. I can offer them the wilderness and everything in between. And I don't know what's going to stick or what's really going to make like what's going to sing in their souls. Because as much as I'm like, I love the earth. I don't think my siblings feel that strongly about it. (laughs) And um, mine don't either. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting, like what, uh, what somebody consumes, you know, of the vast offerings that are made, um, or what resonates with them yes. out of what they do consume. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I think that's, yeah, how I feel about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's, there's like this attitude towards like, um, a lot of things now that it's like, okay, if I, if I like do this for my kid, or if I kind of like instill this in my kid from a young age that they'll like eventually grow into this, um, you know, I'm thinking of like Olympians, you know, that these kids, you, you always watch the Olympics they are coming up. Right. And these kids are like, I've been doing this since I was four years old. And it's like, well, obviously like their parents had to have initiated that. Right. Um, and so it's, it's sometimes like, well, why couldn't I have, you know, just stuck to my guns and and been that gymnast instead of, you know, quitting to play soccer that resulted in a very fruitless <laughs> effort of playing soccer. Right. But I, I think like something that is just really profound in this idea of wildness is also the idea of agency, 
Um, and that like that, that's also something we need to learn is that, you know, people are still free to choose and, and to, um, kind of enjoy what resonates with them, like we said, and, um, and, you know, all you can do is kind of feed that fire and, and hope it yields good results. Yeah. Water that seed. It's, they're yeah, all water. good analogies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right though. And I think it is just in the offering. I shoot my son outside today. He'd been playing Minecraft and a friend came over and I was like, okay, just go outside. Please go outside. We do, we're thankfully, we live in a, a neighborhood that's, I, I don't know. Safe enough. I would say lack of a better word, manicured. I don't know, whatever, you know, it's a, that's a neighborhood. Um, but then there's some, a little aspect of wild going on too. And I sent him off to this place and I picked him and his friend up. My son was being definitely takes after his papa and this, um, sort of like natural wilderness guide personality thing going on. Cause he was telling me so excitedly about how they, climbed this really steep hill and there's this beautiful orange sunset. And he was commenting that he's like, my friend, I don't think my friend gets out into the wild very much. <laughs> <laughs> so my son's seven and it was just making me laugh that that's how he put it. Cause I, he's probably right. I don't know. Um, but I just thought it was so funny. He's like, I don't think he gets out into the wild very much. But he was so happy. I could tell he was happy because he had, he was just smiling every minute and it was just so funny to hear my seven-year-old talking like a 47-year-old about having taken this other person out into the wilderness with him. But it was really just this, it was really beautiful. It made me really happy because I thought this is great because my son, whose name is Iger, and I'm grateful that that's not a misnomer. We kind of laughed about that. Like, what if he like super hates being outside <laughs> We've named him after a mountain? Like, what if he's into NASCAR, you know, like, man. And I'm not commenting bad about NASCAR, but it's just like, dang, can you just imagine like his name's Iger, man. He's really got to like the outside, please. So, so it appears that he does, but it was just kind of cool to see him not just liking it for himself, but also enjoying that aspect of sharing it with somebody else. It was really fun to hear him vocalizing that tonight. Hey, all Thanks for joining us around the fireside to talk about things big and small. An important part of Bristlecone Firesides is putting our faith and spirituality in contact with the earth that unites us. So we'd love to keep in touch with you in the future, whether it's to share a simple call to action, send an occasional exclusive behind-the-scenes update, or ask you for your input on the future direction of Bristlecone Firesides. To stay in the loop, text us the phrase Fireside Utah to 52886. We won't fill up your messages, but when we do send you something, we promise it's going to be good. That's F-I-R-E-S-I-D-E, Utah, to 52886. How do you, like, cultivate that sense of, like, there's a little bit of independence in that, and there's, you know, there's, in that wildness is kind of, you know, if, if like, I think when we think of wild children, that's generally a pejorative. That's not a good thing for a child to be wild. Right. <laughs> but I think, I think there is a sense in when, when wildness in a child is a good thing and that we as a society do a lot to, to get it out of them because it's too hard to parent them. Um, can you speak a little bit about like what, to what degree do you cultivate a sense of wildness in your children and how much of that is unlearning civilization in your own self. 
don't know. Well, I, was like, I don't want to cut you off, but I just I, the better parent. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I do. I do love words, though. So I was like, if it's okay, I'm going to jump on that question because you just said um, parenting a wild child is difficult, and I think I think that's right, right? Especially if your idea of parenting is to control and mold, as we've talked about, versus to stand back and see what the elements do. Um, and so I do think trying to parent in a traditional sense, a child who is also going to be wild. I think those are, I'm not going to say mutually exclusive, but there is definitely a tension there between those two ideas. And so, um, I don't know, I just latched onto those words as you were, as you were saying that, because I, I do think that that is, um, it sounds exhausting, frankly, to try yeah. to control a child who wants to be wild. I also was going to say just from my experience, there is an amount of, yes, relinquishing control and, and accepting that, that things are out of your control in the wild and things could happen. And I'm a really high anxiety person, despite how it might appear outwardly to other people in this, on this particular issue. Like my mind literally can come up with the craziest worst case scenario in just a millisecond. Um, anything you wouldn't know that because I just shoved my son out the door tonight, right before dark and sent him outside <laughs> for an hour with his other seven-year-old friend with pocket knives. But like, it's not that it doesn't come into my brain, but I, I call it suppressing my inner scream most of the time. Cause I just like, my tendency is to want to be like, Oh my gosh, you know, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And I just have to say, just don't, don't say it, Sean, don't say it. And don't, manipulate the situation based upon that crazy thing that popped in your head. Or maybe it's not crazy. Usually I'm like, no, I know this is not crazy because I read about it. This thing happened. Um, and I just really have to not, to not, I don't know, not give in to those fears. Also recognizing that things, that things could happen. So we try to take reasonable precautions. One of the times that something did happen, we were out in the desert and we'd gone off to Boulder and we'd forgotten our kids' helmets. And we were only like less than hundred yards away from the car, but I was still feeling lazy and was like, ugh, should I go back and get their helmets? And I'm really glad I did. I was like, all right, fine. I'll just, I'll just go get their helmets. So we did try, you know, take precautions. Like we have our kids, if there are rocks around hiking in helmets, which probably most other people don't do, but I'm really worried about head injuries. And so we have them in helmets anyway. So we got their helmets. We were finishing up. Everything had gone just fine. My son and I split ways, literally, around a bush. We just both parted ways around this bush. And when we came around the bush, he had this huge gash in his head. And um, I do not do blood. And, you know, thankfully, I was just like, Andy, I need you to take care of that. I can, again, Mr. Hey, we're out in the wilderness, guy who knows how to take care of things. This is your moment. <laughs> I need you to come take care of this. He ended up getting what five stitches in his head. And he said it was also a spurter, which at the time I did not know, but it was, it was very bloody. Um, anyway, the helmet didn't protect him from that happening, but in hindsight, I really was like, I'm so glad he was at least wearing a helmet because I just, I know we made reasonable efforts to be safe and it just didn't have the full desired effect of of a head injury prevention, but we tried and I'm just not going to beat myself up about that. That's just what happened. And he's fine. Um, but you know, I don't know. What do you want to say about him? I, I think all parents try to put their kids into things that are interesting to them as parents. I mean, we all have this, this idea that our kid's going to be a 
world-class athlete in the sport that we really love. Um, I, I think the quicker you as a parent can decide that that's not what, that's not how you're going to measure success for your child. I think the better you're off you are. Um, I don't know. I don't know that, I don't know that we're actually that much different than other parents other than we like to be outside. And so the opportunities, um, the opportunities that I provide my kids involve activities being outside, right? I don't play basketball. So I don't, I don't take my kids to the gym to shoot hoops. I climb. And so they climb and they climb. So I manage the rock climbing teams that they're on. And so they're on the rock climbing team. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it, I, I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's fair to say that these are all just kids that love being outside. I think we've nurtured that we've gotten, um, I don't know that they're, I think they love being outside, not, not because of who they are necessarily individually, but probably because we've nurtured that a lot. Um, but I, I think the aspect of parenting that has been successful to, for us has been to step back, provide the experience, step back and let them have that experience without the micromanagement and without the pressure of us evaluating how they're experiencing that, that outside time. Yeah. You yeah. Know? We're not managing that. And that can happen in other settings pretty yeah. easily. And I think it can happen outside really easily, mm -hmm. you know, with yeah. people being like, that's not safe or you're getting dirty. I just, I have this funny memory of Evan, our first child, we were just at a playground. So when we were outside, but it's not, you know, it wasn't like a natural setting. There just happened to be this huge mud puddle for some reason at the bottom of one of the elements. And I just let her crawl into it and play in it. And I, I'm not congratulating myself on, Oh, how cool of you to let her do that. You know, I think it was the right decision. She had a great time. And, um, I just know that their parenting, parenting philosophies and styles, I just wouldn't have let that happen. And, um, cause I've been at parks where my kids are literally just climbing up a slide and people are freaking out and they're like, why, why all the rules, you know, like if just why, um, and so, yeah, I think that's, what's actually really interesting to me about being out in nature and the natural element versus even a cultivated experience, like being at a park is, there just aren't rules or like these set ideas of how you're supposed to move about in that space. And so even as an adult, if you look survey a place and think this is how I move about in this place, and you can just keep your mouth shut and cut your, cut your kids loose and just let them experience it. Um, I think that's a really powerful experience for them. Yeah, no, I, I, th th there's really something in that of like, you know, how do you foster courage and bravery in your kids or is courage and bravery already there and you just need to step back and let it happen? Yes. <laughs> to both. <laughs> to both. On kid. Cause I've seen yeah. some videos of, of your kids doing some pretty crazy things that would scare me to death. Right. Whether it's rock climbing or whether it's holding a tarantula, like, yeah, I, I think that there, I mean, it depends on the kid. There are kids that you have to hold back a little bit because 
um, you, you have to help pen them in and help them find appropriate outlets and safe, you know, like I've, I've had conversations with all of my children where I've said, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Uh, and if I do that, um, you can, you can be assured that what I'm telling you is um, the, the thing that I want you to do is more or less is within a, is within a safe, safe enough spectrum, right? If I tell you to jump off into the water, I've thought through it. I've thought about the potential consequences and I think it's safe enough for you to do. Um, if I tell you, I think you can climb that, I, I think you can. And then, and then if I tell you not to do it, it's because I don't think it's safe enough. It's, you will get hurt doing this. And, and so, and, and, and that's also dependent on the kid. They're, they're, we have, I have kids that, that I have to tell them, no, Hey, let me, let me help you hold that spider before you just stick out <laughs> your hand. Let me help you. And then I have other children that I have to say, Hey, put out your hand. I want you to hold this spider. I want you to know that you can hold this spider. Right. So it's not all, I don't have four, I don't have four little clones of each other that are just running out into nature and picking up tarantulas and, and scorpions uh, by the tail. I have, I have two kids that do that. And then I have two kids that need me to hold their hand while they do that thing. Yeah. It's just wild to me that you even have kids that would just pick up a spider. Cause that's, uh, <laughs> definitely not on the menu of uh, things that I would be doing. <laughs> Madison, I have a child that dissected a snake at a park. Well, it was dead, but <laughs> yeah, it, it was a dead snake, but, but decided to dissect it at a park. <laughs> well, yeah, I had tweezers. So I was like, here, sure. Go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there, there is some, I mean, it's like funny. You know, I, I haven't really thought a lot, frankly, about what we've been doing. So it's funny to sit here and tell stories out there. Like, yeah, I guess we did do that. Didn't we? Huh? Yeah. And I think some of it is just about a lot of it is about saying yes, as opposed to no, you mm -hmm. know, like, yeah, there's a dead snake. Sure. Why? Let sure. Let, why not? Why not cut it open? I've got some tweezers right here. Sure. Let's do it. I don't know. I mean, like, what's really going to happen? You know, sure. You want to sit in that button puddle? You know what? Yeah. Sure. You can ride home naked. We'll just take all your clothes off, wad them up, leave them in the floor. Like, being in a seatbelt naked is maybe not ideal, but you know, whatever. Sure. Like really what's the harm? Who cares? Sure. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it's, I think it's identifying kids, kids want to most, most kids want to be adventurous. And so with the kids that want to be adventurous, I think what, what you, what we're trying to do, maybe we've been sort of successful at is, helping them identify what adventures are appropriate, what are not appropriate, what adventures are safe for them to do and which ones aren't, right? Um, and, and then, and, 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 and probably narrowly construe, construing those that aren't. Like we don't, we don't stop our kids from getting hurt. We try, we try to keep our kids from getting badly hurt. We try to help them make good decisions about the consequences of it. But I mean, one of, one of my favorite videos of, 
of my little boy is when he was riding his bike and over a bridge and a little uh, bike bridge at a bike park down in Cedar City. And he, he rode off it and it was, you know, four foot tumble. And, and he was just a, he was just a little dude. I think he was five, maybe. Yeah. He was tiny, but he rode right off this bridge and crashed and cried. And it was really traumatic. And and, well, it and, could have been really traumatic. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was, sorry, it, it was, it was in, instantly, it was pretty traumatic. And then he got back up, realized he was fine, realized it hurt a little bit, but he was fine. And he got back on his bike and he rode over it. And you encouraged him to do that. Yeah. He wasn't like, yeah, I'm so stoked to ride back over this, but you bri- <laughs> this bridge. You're like, Hey, I know that didn't feel good. Look, you're okay. And we're going to do that again. Yeah. So what did we learn from that? Let's do this again. Look where you want to go. You to be able to go over these bridges. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, I would say there's like a, yeah. a fair amount of calculation going on where you're like, see your kid climbing on something and thinking like, how bad is this going to go if they fall? Yeah. But some of that is, and I, again, we only have our personal children, so I don't know how this works for other people. I feel like our kids are pretty coordinated and I, that maybe some of that's nature, but I do think there's certainly an opportunity that for nurture by allowing kids to experience their bodies and do different things with them and climb up the slides versus just always go down them or like to go climb on that rock and take maybe some low profile risks. They're just like figuring out how their bodies move in situations. And so I kind of always into fall sometimes. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how you learn. And so I think I've, I've had that, um, adopted that mindset of I'm going to let them learn to trust their body. And so really, unless there's like really, really going to be a super serious consequence here, like they're on the roof of our house or something crazy, I'm going to not freak out and just kind of stand back and let this play out. And our son, I feel like it's actually the most classic one of all of our kids at doing this, where he'll be like, I've totally got this. And he is very coordinated, but every now and then he will take like a big fall or, you know, and get really hurt. And then he's immediately, even though I might be like, Hey, bud, I think that's, you know, I need you to be careful up there. I've got this bam. Whoa! <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just so funny. This happened a couple of times in the park recently. Um, but I just feel like, well, I mean, he's collecting data, right. About what his body mm-hmm. can do and what it can do on certain aspects. And um, I had a real life experience that, you know. that I thought, sum this up at some point you give your kid a knife when you give your kid a knife you hopefully you recognize your kid is gonna cut him or herself with that knife otherwise you've given it to him too late um you have to learn how to cut you have to learn by cutting yourself how not to cut yourself that is just, that's a, that's a, that's a thing. That's a rite of passage, a coming of age thing that, that you, that you have to have. And that's true for a lot of things, right? You have to, as a toddler, when we're learning how to walk, we have to fall. If you don't, if you don't let your toddler take steps and fall, your toddler doesn't learn how to walk. And, and to some degree, we kind of have to let kids do that. But we, we even from, from toddlers on, most, 
as a society, we kind of stop kids from experiencing failure and experiencing pain. And we, we, we teach them not to climb. We teach them, we teach them that it's more important to be careful than it is to take risk. Um, and, and I think that what we've always tried to do with our kids is, is calculate risk based on, like we, 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 we try to tell our kids not to take unnecessary unnecessary serious risk well there's not merit in just doing something because it's risky yeah but don't not do something that has merit because there's a risk involved yeah you want to climb that you want to climb that light pole do it that you're probably there's a good chance you're going to fall but it'll be fun do it (laughs) he fell he did fall I was like, as long as the blood parents around, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the blood parent. You know, when your kid, when you're, when you're, when your toddler is over at the playground and climbing on elements that are clearly not meant for the toddler, they're probably going to be okay. Let them do it. Be surprised what it, you'd be surprised how, how often your toddler doesn't fall. And you'd also be surprised how high they bounce. they're ready to get back up and do it right but you know within extremes you don't you you don't let your toddler take a header at 10 feet up (laughs) Mm. some really good parenting advice going on right here (laughs) really really good no i think i so many so many videos could be used by a dcfs to take our kid do it (laughs) Um, no, I think that there's some, cause I think here's, we, we, you know, we come to the last section of the podcast. Um, I think that there are some deeply spiritual things that you guys have referenced. Number one being that you're, you're trying personally to learn how to say yes, instead of saying no to your kids and their experiences and the experiences that they bring to you. Um, because I think that, um, you know, a, a kind of a contemplative way of, of a contemplative and spiritual way of handling life is learning how to say yes to it before we can, before we say no to it, because I think we're so, we're so bristled and we're so ready to, to say no and to hold these hard line and boundaries with reality that we could spend our entire life saying no to life. Um, and that we need to learn and kids help us learn how to say yes to things because they're experiencing life for the first time. And to our jaded adult eyes, if we can experience that yes with them, that that can be a deeply spiritual lesson for us that our children can lead us to wisdom and spiritual like wholeness <laughs> if we let them. I'm curious, like, I mean, obviously it, it sounds like, you know, you have a deep connection to your children and, and, um, you know, even from just the way that you talk about kind of trusting their body and the decisions that they make and knowing, you know, how great is this, is the effect of them falling or whatnot going to be. Um, but, but moreover, you know, like, can you sense a spiritual side of your children, um, and if so, you know, how, how does the spiritual relationship with your children, um, maybe influence your relationship with the earth or, um, you know, the, 
the experiences or opportunities that you foster within your children in the earth? Or maybe a simpler way of asking that question is, you know, how have your experiences in the wild changed you um, and the way that you kind of uh, connect with your children um, or foster those experiences spiritually too? I think we have tried to focus um, our children on uh, appreciating life uh, their their body, their the beautiful world they have to live in, the the opportunities that they do have as as being gifts from God and heavenly parents that love them. Um, and, and I think we see that. I think we see at a young age when you if you can put in your children's minds at a young age that 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 this world was created for us to enjoy, to inspire us, to, to challenge us, to, to blow our minds. Uh, I think your kids start to appreciate that and it gives them a deep and humbling um, sense of, of, of their creator's love Yeah, I was going to say, I I think I just personally view the earth as a, as a paradise in its current state, frankly, that was given to me by my only parents for me to come and have my experience in life on. And so it's kind of easy to pass that on to my kids when we're outside. I feel like it comes up in conversation a lot. I have very firmly also believe in science. And I was, I was thinking about this earlier today, how I just don't really Think there's so many what I'd call false conflicts out there in our society where we're like, you're either this or you're this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know why it can't be both. Like I totally believe in erosion and even like the scientific timelines on the age of the earth that we're being given. I believe all that. And I still believe in God. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why we need to turn this into a conflict. Um, and so for me, that's one of the things I really, really love about being in the desert specifically is uh, that really turned me on to the beauty of the desert is you can just see it. You know, you can see dinosaur footprints. You can see the weird layers of the rock. I'm not a geologist, so I'm going to just call them weird layers in the rock. <laughs> that's my scientific just description of it. Be like, kids, like how weird this is. It's so cool. <laughs> he pretends like he has a a PhD in rock things. Um, and I, I don't, but, <laughs> but I love it. I'm so fascinated by what's going on with the rocks and we talk about that a lot, but to me, it's like, I understand that there are scientific, I can't explain them, the scientific processes behind those, but also to me, it just feels like this is God's work as well. And so I don't, I don't have this conflict in my mind about those two things happening. So I feel like we talk about both of those things happening, when we're out in nature and just allow ourselves to feel, to feel filled with wonder when we're out there and, um, to not have all of the answers even, but, um, I like to hear what they have to say about things and their thoughts. And so just kind of foster that ability to converse. And maybe that's kind of the nice thing about not having strong opinions about, 
about any of those things, or frankly, a deep reservoir of knowledge about things. Cause it's just so like, cool. What do you think happened here? Awesome. Like, I would love to hear what you think is going on here because your ideas are probably about as good as mine. Cause I am not a scientist, but that's cool. Um, so it's just kind of fun to talk about and to observe. Um, but I, I do feel like our family's narrative is that the earth was, was created for us as a place of wonder to enjoy. And, um, I think that just frankly adds a great deal of delight for us when we're outdoors and we've had formal worship services as a family out in the desert together. And then, and then just being there just in general recreating feels like a worship service, but I was, I was tell a, a story, a specific story really quick that involves taking risks and spirituality and our kids learning that it wasn't in a wilderness per se, but last summer, my son just went to my mom's backyard and she lives in a neighborhood, but still like different than the neighborhoods out here in the West. Um, like really, really big yards kind of connected by a green belt and things like that. So I sent my son out there. I was like, yeah, go outside and play, man, go out be in the trees. And this is exciting. This is not like our backyard. So go out there. And I was not supervising him. He was six. Was he six at the time? Yeah, he was six. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing almost some math. Yeah, almost seven. Um, but he, if 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 he had been missing for longer than he was, it would have been listed in the news as a six-year-old boy. Anyway, um, he, <laughs> I just sent it back there, and I don't know how long he'd been out there, but at some point I was kind of like, oh, I probably should go check on him. And I went out there and caught, hollered at him and didn't hear him and was kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. I was like, well, maybe we should, I don't know, maybe we should go look for him. I, he's not answering. And so we ended up getting in the car and starting driving around the neighborhood looking for him. And um, I was, again, like suppressing that <laughs> like panic that I'm, you know, starting, starting to rise up within me. So I for sure was praying like, okay, please help him be okay. And mostly I was actually using prayer in the sense of like, help direct me to him. I don't know where he's at, but I know that God, that you know where he's at. So please help me discern where he is and to stay calm in doing this. And we ended up finding him. Um, and as soon as he saw me, he looked like he was okay. I was like, Oh, look, he's fine. And as soon as he saw me burst into tears, and was sobbing and ended up being this big situation, Um, and I can pretty much guarantee my mom's not going to listen to this podcast. So I will say, I feel like my mom met me with some amount of judgment, like, cause she kept, she kept bringing it up throughout the rest of the week. Like, you know, Iger wandered off into the woods and you kind of, you know, like you weren't paying attention to him or like you let him, like somehow I let him wander off. And I guess I did. I did. You're right. You know, but somehow like I bore responsibility for him having been traumatized. But the thing is, it turns out it wasn't, it was one of those things like in the moment, it seemed like it may, it was traumatic in the sense that he was crying and upset and was um, feeling very emotional and had been very worried. But he ended up saying like, I was scared and lost. And so I started to pray and I prayed that you'd be able to find me. And it's kind of like, okay, I was going to be able to find him. But he, it felt really powerful to him that his prayer was answered, that I was able to find him. And still like nearly a year later, he still brings that experience up. I think it's going to be a core memory for him that he was lost and he said a prayer 
and that he was found. And he, he brought that up just this last Sunday. We do a home worship service. Um, and we were talking about setting a moral compass and I was explaining how compasses work. And, and uh, I don't even know what question I asked, but he offered, he just like spontaneously said, I think prayer can be a compass. And I was like, okay, wow. Well, great, bud. I hadn't, I hadn't thought to make that connection per se, or, you know, it certainly wasn't in my lesson plan, but he came up with that and he brought up this experience. And so even things that initially seem like, well, that wasn't the best experience. It wasn't the best. Like I didn't love, I didn't love not knowing where he was. Um, I didn't love it that he was so in that moment upset, but it all, it all just still worked out for his good. And, um, I think fed into his sense of spirituality, um, in ways that continue to pay a dividend. And so my recklessness as a mother and letting my son go out into a backyard, um, turned out to be okay. I think. Well, I think that that speaks to, um, Andy, what you were saying, um, before is that there's, I think one of the other deeply spiritual aspects of, of parenting is this idea that like, that like, yeah, sometimes kids have to touch the stove in order to learn. Right. And that, and that touching the stove isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just, it's a learning experience. Right. And that, and that that's one of the, the miraculous aspects of our universe is that, we can integrate sin and mistakes and bad things into our life to create a new wholeness, to create a new, a new goodness. Um, and I think that's one of, that's one of God's superpowers is that God can draw the circle big enough to incorporate the negative. Um, and that we can grow and learn from, you know, cutting our finger with the knife on accident. Right. And that those things can be data points for us to learn how to do things better. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that, uh, there's something deeply spiritual in that, that, you know, our kids present us opportunities to grow our circle bigger so that we can learn how to incorporate the, you know, the, the mistakes or the failings, uh, and that they help us see with more contemplative kind of non-dual eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was saying that maybe that's like bringing it back to nature. Like, I think maybe that's a little bit like what the wilderness offers us because a loving parent can acknowledge that maybe growth can happen through pain. You're not going to, and that, it's going to be okay. If your kid touched the stove, you know, possibly that's somehow going to be okay. But like, you would never put your kid's hand on the stove. You would never cut your kid on purpose. You would not be like, I wasn't secretly like, I hope he gets lost back there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Maybe somehow it's going to try to be a great experience if I let him get lost, you know, but like the, um, just the wild, being out in nature in that way just kind of presents us with these opportunities where things aren't in perfect order, at least that we can see and give us the opportunity to, um, just to see the beauty in what at least up close looks imperfect and some moments that aren't, I don't know, ordered. They don't seem ordered to us with our, with our human eye and perspective in this finite moment, but you know, zoomed out from an eternal perspective, you get a different, a different view. Cool. Any final thoughts from anyone? Give your kid a knife. 
to have health insurance. No, <laughs> like you're going to do that. Helmets no. and health insurance. Yeah, yeah no, helmets are good. Helmets are a good thing. That's a really bad note. It's like, let's cut all that out. But <laughs> <laughs> I frequently say to Madison, I'm like, can you edit that out? <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. Oh, here's, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go for a thought here. I'm going to go for a thought. I just, being a God believing person, I think we can take some cues about parenting and the wilderness from the experience we're having, even as an adult, if we believe in loving heavenly parents that sent us here to this earth, that's got some amount of organization for sure, but also a whole bunch of unpredictability and in our faith tradition, except that they're doing so with the idea that we're going to grow, that there's going to be both pain and pleasure involved in that process. Maybe as earthly parents, we can also take that same perspective with nature and parenting as well, that just within the wild, there are a lot of opportunities there that are both going to present pain and pleasure and opportunities. And um, maybe just take a big, deep breath about it. And, um, and just learn, just learn from that, from the way our heavenly parents kind of handle this situation. I think they are far more calm and clearly, I would say for me, at least loving and forgiving and are not panicked about what's going on. And so I think for me, whether it's my kids going out to the wilderness, literally or figuratively, what I've identified as wilderness, I hope that I can take a big, deep breath and extend my children the same freedom in that wilderness setting that my heavenly parents are extending to me. Anything else? Andy? Abby? I I said helmets and knives. (laughs) Helmets and knives. Now this has been a. I really enjoyed this this uh, re-recording of our episode. I think we've we've tried similar ground, but we've also teased out different nuances uh, than before. Um, yeah, no, I, Andy, Sean, I have loved having you guys in my life, and I look forward to you know further adventures. By the way, Andy, I definitely strained my hip flexor on that that canyoneering trip we did, and I'm still hurting from it. So I hope you're hurting from it, maybe. Nope. Or let, no, you're not? Okay, well, cool. I'm glad. Yes, and I hurt from all kinds of things. <laughs> I, do not, I do not hurt from that. Thank you for joining us in the spiritual wilds on this episode of Bristlecone Firesides. If you're vibing with this podcast, please share widely with your friends, family, and neighbors, and consider leaving us a five-star rating or written review through the podcasting app of your choice. Screenshot your review and tag us on Instagram or Twitter, and we'll hook you up with some free Bristlecone Fireside stickers. This season's beautiful cover art was provided by Ash Rowan Designs, and our fresh new music was composed by Brenton Jackson. Bristlecone Firesides is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. The Dialogue Podcast Network features many great podcasts exploring LDS faith through diverse and rigorous scholarship. Please visit dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network to learn more. For more from Madison, Abby, and the Bristlecone family, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, and visit our website to enjoy more earthy content on faith, activism, and belonging to the earth. From the Red Rock Deserts and high mountains of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to become one with this good and wild earth.
Mom had the loudest voice and strongest opinions in the household. It's impossible to feel the spirit in these episodes. From there, it was the grim weeper. How could you have done this to me, to us? That may sound blasphemous, but it's true. She was determined and committed to her sometimes eccentric opinions. Meanwhile, I'm wondering who's this wonderful fairy tale us he's talking about. Most of my mixed state experiences are channeled into a prayer to my Heavenly Father to please send help. Please take me out of this. Please show me a sign that you still love me. No, of course not. That's why I'm here. I'm willing to do whatever to make things right. This is Dialogue Out Loud, a curated selection of fiction and essays from the pages of Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought, brought to life through voice and music. I feel entirely alone in a permanent night, blocked from sunlight by the wall of earth that is my chemical imbalance. My parents were persuaded that this was not just an adolescent whim and allowed me to be baptized three days shy of my 19th birthday. Oh, he'll hold my hand in sacrament meeting and take me by the arm and open the car door and do all that chivalrous Sir Walter Raleigh stuff in public. But safe at home, I'm invisible. This year, we're bringing you even more great audio stories from our quarterly journal, including pieces by Neil David Sylvester, Linda Hoffman Kimball, Monica Crowfoot, and more. Subscribe to the Dialogue podcast to keep up on our latest episodes or go to dialoguejournal.com for this and more great audio content. That's dialoguejournal.com.